Hello. Hello. And there you go. You're supposed to introduce this one. Sorry. We didn't sort out who was going to do that, did we? Um, shall I introduce this yes, one? Yes, you introduce this one. Go on then. Go. Hello. Hello. You're listening to We Are History, the silly history podcast with me, Angela Barnes. And me, John O'Farrell. And John O'Farrell. We Angela are doing, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know why I repeated that. You'd already And said Angela it, Barnes. <laughs> and John, in fact, we're in an infinite loop. We can't get out. So, John, today's topic is one that you've chosen. Indeed. And it's about a time, John, when the marital affairs of the British royal family was in the news. Can you believe it? It's incredible. And that the idea of a divorced American marrying a British prince was scandalous and it utterly consumed the media. I mean, it's hard to imagine that now, right? If you could see my Zoom call, uh, listeners, <laughs> irony is flashing up on Angela's screen. <laughs> the <laughs> irony alarm is going off. We are doing the abdication crisis of 1936. We sort of chose this because of what's been happening recently with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. But in that news frenzy, the fact that Meghan Markle was divorced was not at all the issue, was it really? No, in fact, I keep forgetting that she was married before it doesn't seem to be yeah. the top line in any of the stories really does it and yet in my parents lifetime the notion of a royal leaving the royal family and abandoning his duties because he had to choose between marrying the woman he loved who was divorced you know or doing <laughs> what you know the british establishment said was the most all-consuming scandal of the year and now no one cares it's like it seems the most ridiculous waste of energy. The more you look into it, the more ridiculous it is. I mean, we, we obviously are going to look into it. That's sort of what we oh, do. Oh, yeah. So the book I read for this is quite a new book, actually. It's only out in hardback. £20 it cost me. I'm just saying How that, much? Angela. 20 quid. I buy it from a bookshop, not from Amazon. But with the podcast, we'll make that back in the next couple of years. So, <laughs> couple of years. Uh, you'll be lucky, mate. Um, <laughs> I read. Still, <laughs> we're still losing money on this. Come on. <laughs> I read The Crowning Crisis by Alexander Larman. Um, uh, so which I recommend. Right, it's a good read actually. It's a quite, it's, you know, it's a good slice of pre-war Britain and its sort of snobby values. And this is all about the accession of Edward VIII yep. and his subsequent abdication in the same year, three years before the world was consumed by war. But so much Again. was going on in the world in 1936. But the British establishment was only concerned with one thing. These are your notes, John. This is your podcast. I have, I've done some research episode. on this one, yeah. Because, you know, if I'd researched it, we would have gone back to about 1700. But so, it so is Alfred 1936. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1936. Mm -hmm. Stanley Baldwin is Prime Minister for the third time. Yes. Uh, Tory. Yeah, he's a bit of a sort of John Major, really, Baldwin. He's sort of a boring sort of, uh, you know, not many people remember much about him. He was slightly sort of held responsible for appeasing Hitler before Neville Chamberlain. But he was sort of like a, a manager and a sort of party unifier. Yeah. So officially a coalition, but not really. Yes, because Ramsay MacDonald, I think, was in the cabinet, the former Labour leader. Labour yeah. Party had sort of imploded in 1931 or split apart. Uh, but lots going on. Yeah, Attlee is a new leader of the opposition. We are in the middle of Great Depression, massive unemployment, 1936 Spanish Civil War breaking out. Oh. There's a good podcast you can listen to about that, isn't oh, there, John? what podcast is that, Angela? Could be the We Are History podcast, John. Oh, I've heard that's very good. Um, apparently, it's like chatting to a couple of friends down the pub, which is nice. <laughs> so they never um, buy you a drink. 
never buy you a drink, which is just like being in the pub with a lot of my friends. So never mind all that, because there's more important things at home to focus on. So we're in the interwar period. Yes. It's 1936. Uh, and the new king is seeing a married woman swoon. <gasps> Never mind the Jarrah marchers or the Nazis marching into the Rhineland or Mussolini and Abyssinia. This woman is divorcing her second husband. She is completely unsuitable for our king and head of our church. Um, And, and, you know, for the king to be the head of our church. So it's a massive deal. Of all the things in 1936 to get your knickers in a twist about. I know. The fact that the king is in love with a woman who is getting divorced. I know. I know. Anyway, by, by different standards. times, John, different times. So we had George V. He's the one with the beard. Oh, yes. Right. He dies in January. But did he die naturally, Angela? Well, did he pass John, away that's in his the sleep? question, isn't it? No, he got a massive morphine shot from his doctor to finish him off quickly. Because mm. if he died in the afternoon, it would have been the evening papers along with the racing results. And we can't have that. Had to be in oh, the no, morning Oh, no, that would be times. terribly... <laughs> no decorum <laughs> so, in that, is there? There's quite a lot of controversy over his end isn't there yeah about whether his last words were what well, was it's supposed to be but he's bugger bogner king yeah right? well, they said maybe you should go to bogner for your health <laughs> he sort of said bugger bogner and died which i think yeah. is which is great last it didn't words. happen though did it by all accounts it didn't happen technically he was killed uh euthanized mm. well they said to also to make his parting uh, less painful but there is this idea that it would be more appropriate if his death was announced in the morning papers than in the Evening news alongside the. I mean, they could have just not put the racing. I mean, so many things. I know, so many questions. So the Prince of Wales becomes Edward VIII. Now, he'd been a very sort of dashing and popular Prince of Wales, uh, rather insecure. Mm -hmm. They think he had anorexia, um, always very obsessive about his waist. And Wallace Simpson, the woman we're talking about here, famously said, You can neither be too rich nor too thin. Oh, you can uh, be both those things. He wouldn't have gone for you, if I'm honest. He wasn't. I don't think I was his type, John, to be honest. He uh, he was said to enjoy the company of society women. Oh, maybe I was his type. Yeah, society women, Angela Barnes. Um, Yes. Why are you both laughing? Why? (laughs) Yeah, so um, he was having an affair with Lady Furness, apparently. And it was at one of her parties when he met Wallace Simpson, this American lady. Lady Furness... had to go to the United States. So she said to her best friend, will you look after the prince for me while I'm away? Rookie error, that. <laughs> Never mistake. leave your dashing prince in the hands of your best mate when you're away. Yeah, so her best friend Wallace nicked her lover. Yeah. Apparently Furness was fine about it, but a little postscript here. When Lady Furness dropped dead in a New York street in 1970, her handbag contained a little teddy bear that Edward had given her 40 oh, years before. Oh, she carried it all those years. Oh, a little Ted. Oh, what a bastard. Anyway, <laughs> so, but Mrs. Simpson, Wallace Simpson, yes. who he's fallen for at this party, she's still married, right, to Ernest Simpson. That's right. That's not a glamorous name, is it, that? Ernest Simpson. Ernest. Sounds oh, like Ernest. a local watchmaker or something. <laughs> it's like in the high street. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's her second husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Edward's fallen in love with her. Now, there's all sorts of rumours that were put around about Wallace Simpson, uh, probably mm. by scurrilous sort of nasty, you know, tabloid journalist type people gossiping upper class snobs. <laughs> could never happen today. Could, could it never not? happen today. Rumours that she was born intersexual. Both male right. and female sexual organs. Hard one right. to disprove, isn't it, Angela? Yeah, and also, people are born intersex, so what? I like, know, but, you know, it's not something you know, that you can go, come on, then prove it then. Come on, well, no, prove that you haven't got no. male and female genitals. I know we're in a busy pub. It gives a whole new meaning to a gender reveal party, doesn't it? 
Uh, <laughs> We're not going to get you, better than that. You. Let's stop I'll the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, uh, Wallace claimed that neither of her first two marriages were consummated, which seems a bit steep, uh, mm. and that she never allowed anyone else to touch her below what she called her personal Mason-Dixie line. We've all got one, John. <laughs> We've all got personal Mason-Dixie lines. Personal Mason-Dixie line. <laughs> she spent a year. <laughs> she spent a year in China in 1927, which was suggested was an odyssey of sexual discovery, where she learned oh. her Oriental skills. Wink, wink. Oriental skills. Yeah, I think eh? that's just blowjobs, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> no, that's what's in the book. Um, yeah. um, com- she confessed to visiting sing song houses in uh, Shanghai. What are they, John? Karaoke bars? <laughs> Angela, try and, try, and, try and put yourself in 1930s sophisticated society, for goodness sake. Just give it a go. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, biographers said that sex meant a great deal to Edward and that Wallace was highly skilled in some unusual sexual techniques. <laughs> biographers say that i mean uh, i don't know it's all just it fits the myth doesn't it It fits the it, well it fits the sort of uh, I mean, demonization what, of the woman what a here, surprise a man get... and a woman they like sex oh my god what I know, a story but they made her a temptress an evil temptress haven't they and well, i don't want to get all it, feminist it? women who like sex in the 1930s were evil temptresses you weren't allowed to like sex were you as a woman then but especially as a woman yeah so what they're doing yeah. is they're blaming the woman here, Angela. You've probably yeah. not encountered this before, but I'm going to yeah, tell no, you it never, happens a never lot. I've never encountered that in my life. No. I'm just giving oh. you an education here on sexual <laughs> Thanks, politics. John. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, they said that um, Edward liked to be dominated by his mistresses. Oh, and America quite... dominating Britain. They were just ahead of their time. So Yeah. The day after he became king, she's photographed with Edward. Um, and that's quite, uh, that's quite. oh, you know, he's out there. He's, 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 he's parading around with his married woman. But um, So... So his father, George V, yes. they didn't get on, did they? Him and no, he had uh, quite a low opinion Edward. Of his son. And he said to Stanley Baldwin, the Prime Minister, he said, after I'm dead, the boy will ruin himself in 12 months. Wow. Uh, it's quite a prophecy, isn't it? Yeah. Especially as it actually only took 11. That's pretty but, impressive, uh, <laughs> yeah. The king always preferred Bertie, who became, you know, our George the Sixth, yeah. and always thought he would have been better. And Lilibet, little Lilibet. And that's, of course, our Majesty. Our little queen. John Stans salutes. I've got. A, I'm doing this with the union flag behind me, by the way. Andrew oh yeah, well, that, I've insisted, haven't I, John, that we always have the union flag behind us now. <laughs> We're doing these. Um, so the king dies, King George the Fifth. This is how things happen in royal families. Queen Mary kissed her son's hand and said, "This is like when your dad dies." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> kissed her son's hand and said, "The king is dead. Long live the king." That's a bit right. weird, isn't it? So your dad's dead. Yeah. Now you're the king. Yeah. So when my dad yeah. died, I rushed down to see my mum. Mm-hmm. And I, there were two policemen there because he died at home, so you have to, the police have to be informed. Mm-hmm. And I walk in, I go, "Mum, you okay?" She goes, "This is my son. He was on. Have I got news for you?" <laughs> I was not now, Mum. We've done strange things to people, <laughs> Mum. It's not the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless her! I know. My dad's body was literally lying in the room. It's like. <laughs> oh god really early on in my comedy career i got interviewed by terry wogan on the radio right i did a live show at the savoy theater with him and it was yeah it was really amazing and as far as my nan was concerned i've been interviewed on radio two by terry wogan that means i'm now famous right right? and i i mean at this point i had done no telly no anything and um we went to I took my nan for lunch with my mum and we went my nan loved a harvester, right? And so we went to the to the harvester in Brighton and this poor waitress was about 
I don't know, she's about 16, 17, and she came around, and my nan just, like, she took my nan's order, and my nan went, this is my granddaughter, she's famous. And I just, absolutely, <laughs> and this good, poor girl just looked at me like, oh. And I was like, nan, if I was famous, she wouldn't be looking at me like I that, know, would she? Know. She didn't know who I was. <laughs> so, oh, so lesson, embarrassing. Bless them, they're so proud. But so I suppose, the, you know, Queen Mary's quite proud. She's like, oh, my God, yeah. my son's king. My husband's king, yeah. now my son's king. This is really, yeah. They've done really well in my family by their own hard work. So, um, um, so Edward, he didn't live in uh, Buckingham Palace or anything like that. He lived at a place called Fort Belvedere, which was this sort of gothic pile right. in Windsor Great Park. Um, he sort of made it his own. Um, and after a short break, he started seeing Wallace Simpson again now as king, having her to stay. So now he's king. He's and having he's... king and he's having little sleepovers with Wallace mm. at uh, Fort Belvedere. She stays for the weekend. Now, by all accounts, he was a bit... Like a teenage boy in love for the first I mean, time. Everyone like says doodly this, yeah. Wallace for Eddie over his exercise books. <laughs> yes, and, that's um, right. He was like, Ooh, you know, tattoos. And... <laughs> yes, your majesty, you're not the Prince of Wales anymore. Oh, Wales. Sounds a bit like Wallace, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of the accounts do say he was completely and utterly besotted with her. Much more than yeah. her and him. Right. But he was just like not happy when she wasn't around. And I think he'd probably had quite a difficult time prior to being king and not been sufficiently exposed to, you know, normal relationships mm. as you know well, a dysfunctional family is one to do and yeah. he just completely landed on this woman and became completely obsessed with her and he was a bit of a dandy figure almost wasn't he a bit like the the sort of prince george in blackadder kind of oh, figure yes. a bit sort of you know completely uninterested in affairs of the state yes. wasn't really interested in the sort of stately duties of being a king was yeah it? well he worse wasn't... than that he left all the government papers lying everywhere so he sort of getting all these red boxes from the government and uh, he's mm. supposed to be signing official bills and stuff. And these are secret affairs of state. And he's just like showing everything to Wallace going, oh, look at this. Look, it's lovely. And you know, should we sign it together? And it's like, no, you're the king. And there was also a rumour. Real... Go on. Well, I was going to say, it's a real problem, isn't it? Because there, isn't there a rumour that she's had an affair with Ribbentrop, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> he's so... like the Nazi ambassador to Britain. Yes. Yes. He's used to send her 17 roses to count. Apparently, that was the number of times they'd shagged. Um, right. So that's romantic. Um, yeah, so he would, Ribbentrop had been charged by Hitler with securing the German-British alliance and, you know, getting Britain on side Ooh. in his sort of Nazi sort of plan to dominate Europe. And um, Edward VIII was, you know, a big part of Hitler's hopes. And he was yeah, well, he was known for slight sort of Nazi sympathies and being liking the vigour and youth of the German leader and the Nazi system. Now, this should be the scandal right absolutely <laughs> that we're in the interwar period and he's cavorting with a lady who's also cavorting with the nazi ambassador i know yeah that 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 would be the scandal now wouldn't it i mean that was, wouldn't it that wasn't the front of everyone's minds you know um it, you know she was divorced and he was the head of the church of england that was the problem so he carried on being a isn't king isn't that a bit ironic like the problem is she's divorced because he's a Head of the Church of England. Doesn't the Church of England only exist because Henry VIII wanted a divorce? Exactly. That's the whole that's the whole origin of the Church of England was a, a monarch getting a divorce. So he carries on being king. In March, he visited Clive Bank to inspect the the liner, the Queen Mary, named after his mum. Ever been right. on the Queen Mary, Angela? I funnily enough, John, I have never been on the Queen Mary. No, have you? I, I have been on the Queen Mary. I went to I the thought United you might, <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't have brought it <laughs> up. It's just so bizarre that when I was three <laughs> We went to America to live and we went on the Queen Mary. It was a five day. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Every podcast we do, I first it's like, oh, John was in a film with Diana Dawes. That just comes up one day. Now it's like we went to America to live. What? For, for about what? six months. 
Yeah, my dad. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I was only three, so I was very little. But we oh. went, fancy going on the Queen Mary. We went on a line. I'm so old that the first time I went to America, it was on a ship. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and um, yeah. Wow. Every morning you had next. My mum said, it's great. Every day we've got an extra hour's line because of the time change. And um, How there's a picture of me. How long did journey take? It's five days. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? And we took a whole day just to get into New York Harbour, apparently. I don't remember that bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Queen Mary is being built, uh, ready for John to go to America 30 years later. <laughs> apparently, he was very sympathetic to the shipyard workers, uh, Edward VIII. And he also visited South Wales during his brief reign. And the poverty of his mining valleys, he was shocked by it. And he said, something must be done. That was like scandalous. So he had political... some sort of... Yeah. Um, well, I suppose it, it would be very rare... For the king to actually see working class people, right? Yes. So when they do see them, they go, oh, this is terrible. It would have been, <laughs> like, if, he'd yeah, seen my, if he'd seen my child in a maidenhead, Angela, he would have been shocked. Well, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but this was reported at the time like an all-out attack on the Tory government. And it you know, didn't please Baldwin, oh, Baldwin at all. Baldwin wasn't happy then, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's going to need Baldwin later. So probably a bad mm. move, mate. Um, mm. So, so um, Edward starts to include... Um, Wallace Simpson in her official events he elevated her position above the Prime Minister's wife in a table plan what John oh no you've he fainted and just fainted Wait everyone let me get my head around this John let me get my head around this right because you've got the Nazis bombing Spanish Republicans but forget about that oh I've just thrown a pen across the room we're not like, surprised Angela. Angela I'm not surprised forget about that <laughs> he elevated Wallace Simpson above the Prime Minister's wife in the table plan I know plans, can you imagine John? it as so, somebody who is currently planning a wedding, I understand the significance yeah, of this. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so then in July, so the, basically the government are going, this is a nightmare. This bloke is a nightmare. He's not interested in um, uh, the, the affairs of state at all. Um, mm -hmm. He is seeing this woman. We are uh, uh, in a sort of arms race with Nazi Germany, and uh, she is a very close friends with um, Ribbentrop. And in July, there's a very interesting subplot. Oh, what happens in July? Somebody tries to kill the king. <gasps> Edward was riding with the guards, as you do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When this nervous, agitated man pushed his way through the crowd and under a newspaper, he raised this loaded revolver. And a woman saw him, saw him raise this gun. And in an instinctive move, she shoved his arm away. He dropped the gun and it went under the king's horse. Do you know, right? If that had been a woman, a, a man who'd done that, yeah. he'd be this hero, saved the king. What an amazing man. Do we know this woman's name? This woman like stopped the king being assassinated. Do we even know her name? Well, I didn't even bother writing it down, Angela, because it was a woman. If it had been a man, I would have written it down you know? in my notes. But I didn't see exactly. what you, I didn't write the name down. I wrote down the name of the man who nearly assassinated the king. What, but what's the name of the woman in the book? I think it might have been. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, in that but, case, John, it's on you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I thought maybe history just hadn't recorded the name of the woman. Well, actually, the policeman. But it turns who, out it's just you. Um, it's just me. It's just me. I, I just that's think, all right then. You know, I've written her out of history. I've written her out of history. She's just a small bit part player and she doesn't get a name. She's it's just history, not history, isn't oh, it, John? Oh, that's strong. That's powerful. Eh? <laughs> so, anyway, so, the, the assassin. Anyway, this guy that nearly killed him, yeah. The assassin, the bad guy, I've got his name written down here. Yeah. George McMahon. That was George his name. McMahon, he was so... like a sort of a slightly deranged Scottish former journalist. Now, well, there's sort of theories about him, aren't yes, there? Yes, tell us the theories about him. So he claimed to be an MI5 informer. So he claimed that he had told Special Branch 
of his intention to kill the king. Yes. So the theory was that intelligence would be there and apprehend him. So whoever had ordered him to kill the king, he would be arrested and intercepted and they would eventually be caught. But yeah. there's a lot of controversy over whether that's true or not, isn't well, there? Well, the speculation is that the Home Secretary knew about it. Right. He might have been given his gun by the Italian embassy, which is weird. Um, mm. because there were forces within the Italian embassy that didn't want his friendship with Hitler to develop. This is all highly sort of, you know, bloke in the pub told me, I read it on the internet type speculation. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there was a theory that there were forces within the government and MI5 that thought if this maverick bloke is going to kill the king, that might be quite convenient. And we might mm. just let him get on with it. Uh, and even though we're not, Inspiring ourselves we do know about it but we know we don't know about we're it we're just gonna yeah so that's yeah, the that's yeah. the sort of conspiracy theory i'm not sure about myself but he was uh only charged on a minor upsetting the king in a nasty way or something some small law he wasn't right. charged with attempting the king's so life he got like a treason. year in prison didn't he got he? a year yeah and he was charged by the, the attorney general no less so uh hmm. yeah after a year it's prison... all a bit dodgy isn't it? you try and kill the king and you get a year in prison that doesn't seem yeah and then he came right, out and it? just went back to the bottle and wrote lots of nutty letters to oswald mosley so so he sounds like a very um <laughs> stable guy yeah yeah <laughs> so, i mean if he if I he had pulled the trigger him. we'd remember edward viii as you know as the assassinated king mm. but that story made the papers and made the news footage in the cinema and when it was shown spontaneous singing of the national anthem in the cinema mm. Not something you hear so much these days, is it? Spontaneous singing of the national anthem after the no. sort of, you know after the hot dog ads. It's not very British, is it? No, to sort of spontaneously sing. We're not very uh, spontaneously singing. But he was liked by the people, right, Edward? Well, the... at this point, I think yeah. Edward at this thought, point, he's a new king and he's you know dashing and all that. But all that summer, he's hanging out with his new girlfriend. Uh, he went on a cruise in the Eastern Mediterranean, um, and all this time, the American and European press was filled with stories and pictures. But not a word of this was in the English papers. So, which so this is, is really bizarre. something we can't quite get our heads around yeah. now, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, if something's in the papers in America, we know about it. Absolutely. Because yeah. The internet, etc. But, but um, the fact is, it wasn't in the British papers, was it? This affair he was having no. with Wallace Simpson. So the British people didn't know about it. He was just their king. Well, everyone in Westminster and Fleet Street knew about it. All the sort of mm -hmm. powers that be, the church, the, the civil servants, the journalists, they all knew. But the two big newspaper barons of the day, Beaverbrook and Rothermere, they agreed that the king's privacy would be respected. <laughs> that never happened today, would it? No. Well, actually, it probably would. The Queen's probably is respected more than other yeah, royals. Yeah, there's still one or two stories that don't get out that you sort of yeah. hear from journalists. That's still a thing. Yeah. But you have British people living abroad, right? Yeah. They were reading these stories and appalled by them and would like write home and tell their relatives, what's the king up to? And they, I suppose their relatives would be like, what are you talking about? I know. I know. It's <laughs> unimaginable now with Twitter and the yeah. internet. And But even if the foreign papers came in at the ports, they were sort of confiscated and put aside. News agents wouldn't put them out. You know, So some news agents knew mm. about it, but like, I'm not putting that out in the public. So there's a sort of general conspiracy of silence. Um, mm. It was called the Great Silence, actually. So um, Edward continues to put her before everything. When she came up to stay in Balmoral, he was supposed to be opening the local hospital, but uh, he cancelled it so he could pick her up from the station. And, uh, oh, that seems reasonable. Yeah, he pretended yeah. he was still grieving for his dad. But word of this got out and the local Scots were furious about this. And rumours were growing and indignation growing. And the Archbishop of Canterbury was appalled, as was Baldwin mm. and the cabinet, at his lack of responsibility and devotion to duty. 
Meanwhile, Mrs. Simpson was trying to divorce her second husband. So she's still married at this point. She's still married to Ernest with a, mm. with a goofy name. Divorce was so primitive back then that the only way to do it was to have solid evidence of adultery. And so right. if a couple wanted to get divorced, they had to stage this. They had to sort of like book into a hotel and uh, have photographs of the woman coming out of the room and uh, witnesses signing statements. And this was a farce that people had to embrace just to get mm. divorced legally. So would it have to be the man committing adultery then? Well, Mr. Simpson was very obliging about all this. So mm. he was prepared to book himself into the Hotel de Paris in Bray, where I used to go to youth club mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Uh, not the Hotel oh. de Paris, Bray. The is that where Bray. the fat duck is? Yes, down there. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah near Maidenhead it is. Um, and he was um, pretending to have an affair and making sure witnesses saw him and everything. And this evidence would be submitted to court to allow the divorce to happen. That, but of course, that in itself is breaking the law, right? That collusion yes. to do that. And she had vowed that she hadn't been adulterous, whereas yeah. everyone knew that she had. So that's perjury, right? Yeah, she was She was in court. To try and make it more quiet, they put it in um, Suffolk. They put it up at Ipswich Crown Court. She booked into an address in mm. Felixstowe to pretend she lived up that way. And right. this judge didn't know what was coming. They hoped to avoid media interest, but of course there was loads of media interest. The poor judge was swamped with newspaper reporters. Uh. One cameraman jumped on her car to get a pic. A policeman obligingly smashed his camera. So what I don't understand, if the newspapers weren't printing this stuff, why are they... Well, there's the American reporters there. There's, oh, I um, see. International, yeah, but so, also, it's, um, it's only the British reporters, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the king had been in contact with the chief constable of Suffolk. Um, which is very inappropriate for the king to ring up saying, could you just make sure that, um, you know, uh, my mm. girlfriend doesn't get any uh, trouble at the uh, court when she gets divorced. So the journalists, they were writing this stuff down and they were taking pictures, but they were pleading with their editors to break what was called the great silence. They were going, somebody... Oh, for the love of God, will someone invent Twitter? <laughs> exactly, that's what they're saying. So the secret could not hold forever. It's going to burst soon. And this <laughs> dam of gossip and innuendo, that oh. might be a time to take a break. To sing the national yes. anthem and pray for the king and them. <laughs> Hello, welcome back. You are listening to the We Are History podcast and we are talking about the 1936 abdication crisis. So we've got King Edward has been open about his intention to marry the American divorcee, Wallace Simpson. And he continues to tell everyone how wonderful uh, she was. Uh, thankfully, mm. leaving out the details of their sex life and the erotic techniques she'd learned in China. He confided to Churchill, who was the senior politician who seemed to have the most support for Edward uh, at this time. What, what was Churchill at that He was actually point? slightly in the wilderness then. So he was like this yeah. very famous, he was a sort of Boris Johnson of his day, not in the cabinet, um, sort of mm. slightly winding everyone up with his bellicose sort of um, warmongering. And everyone's going, no, mm. we don't, we're not going to fight Hitler. Shut up about fighting Hitler. It's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was this emergence, because you had this sort of weird... This is how what a big deal it was. They started to worry about the emergence of a king's party, a whole party in Parliament that would support the king if it came to the idea that he might have to abdicate. So Lord Beaverbrook, right, sort of single issue, yeah, yeah, sort party of like a Brexit party only it. supporting wow. the king. Yeah, Beaverbrook, who was the uh, who owned uh, half the papers, uh, he was mm. very much using this stick to beat Baldwin and. Um, any politicians on the king's side that might include Oswald Mosley. It's not a good look now, is it, to have Oswald Mosley? I know, on side? I know. <laughs> so if the government fell because of the king's action, the king himself, of course, could invite someone to inform a government. So he might have invited, um, you know, uh, Mosley or... was in Parliament, but he could have yeah. invited um, some dodgy MPs to form a government, put Mosley in the cabinet, and we could have had a sort of, um, you know, similar government to Spain and Germany and Italy. 
Wow, that's serious yeah. constitutional consequences, isn't it? And, yeah, and yeah. you, like you said before, Hitler and Ribbentrop are. He's the best friend they've got in England, Edwards, yeah. isn't he? He's sympathetic to the Nazi cause at this point. Yeah. If the government fell, it would trigger an election where the main issue is the king's marriage, Imagine not fascism whole... or communism or any of the other things going on in the world. Yeah, and that's all the time this is going on. They're all debating. There's still no one in the country knows. So there's like a sort of twin consciousness in Britain, whereas you know ordinary people are struggling to pay the bills and dad's got no work. And in, mm. uh, in the corridors of power... All they're consumed with is uh, what's going to happen about the king's marriage. You know, is he, he's openly talking about planning to marry this woman. This can't come to pass. But, you know, some people did know about it. So the, as a crisis grew, threats were made to Wallace Simpson's life. She had to move out of her home and she was starting to wonder whether it's all worth it. Yeah, she was never that into him, was she, as he was <laughs> into her? I know, I know. She tried to break it off a couple of times, actually, but he wasn't having it. God, how hard must it be to dump a king? I know, it is, especially, yeah. He was basically a stalker, I think. She went to Cannes yeah. to stay with friends. And even though the divorce had been granted in Ipswich, the decree absolute would still take six months. So the king couldn't marry mm. her until mid-37. And he wanted that before his coronation, so she would be queen. Yeah. The church and parliament were like, Ain't going to happen. So the press were desperate to break this story. And finally, they found this opportunity. This was December 36. The Bishop of Bradford, not one of the big bishops. Not one of the big ones, <laughs> is he? Not, is it? no Archbishop so, of Canterbury, is Canterbury, he? York, Bradford. They're the big three, aren't they? <laughs> but he gave this big sanctimonious sermon, you know, about the uh, duty of the king. And eventually he said, may the grace of God be with the king at this difficult time. And all the hacks were right. like, well, he's gone public. That's it. He's, he's uh, He said... The king at this difficult time, we can print the story. And suddenly it's in the public domain. They spilt the beans and um, all the newspapers are absolutely full of it. Wow. Just because a bishop mentioned it in his sermon. May the grace if of God. If a bishop mentioned it in his sermon today, only four people would hear it, know, wouldn't they? That's quite funny, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like starting in the public domain if a bishop says something in a sermon yeah. anymore, is it? Absolutely. <laughs> so then suddenly the dam burst and all the papers were full of nothing else. Uh, it was December. People were singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Mrs. Simpson Stole Our King. Satire was oh. early days then, Angela. Oh, dear. Put that on. Uh, have I got news for you, John? Put in the now show. Eh? She became vilified yeah. as uh, this gold digger, a scheming social climber. As I say, Angela, this was a time when well, women got... it was obviously all her fault. It was her you fault. Know, this I was a time, Angela, when women got blamed first, when men talked over women all the time and explained <laughs> things to them. So, uh, just never ex- happened yeah, I, don't, I haven't finished talking, Angela. It's when women... <laughs> Had things explained. <laughs> so um, MI5 was bugging the king and his telephone calls to Cannes. You can imagine that. Lovely, lovely oh, yeah. phone calls. I bet they've got nothing on the old uh, Charles and Camilla phone calls know, they bugged God, a few years later. But... I think, I think was, theirs was probably all just, oh, you hang up. No, you hang up first. No. <laughs> uh, but the press were onto her in the south of France. One time she had to climb through the bathroom window of a restaurant to escape the hacks. Jeez. So back home, yeah, the kings made it pretty clear to Stanley Baldwin, Prime Minister, that he will abdicate if he's not going to be allowed to marry Wallace. That's much more important to him than being king, right? Because he's not really that into all the stately stuff, is he? He's no Queen Elizabeth II, John. Oh, she's wonderful, Um, isn't she? God bless her. (laughs) So Baldwin begged him, pleaded with him, threatened him. Everyone begged him. The entire establishment yeah. didn't want him to abdicate because it's not a good look, is it? No, the rest of the royal family were like, you can't do this. Mm. Mary was appalled, his mum. Yeah. yeah, I bet. And the British people, though, once they heard about it, 
were a bit like, he's in love with a lady, let him marry her. <laughs> the lady. Like we are with Harry, but do you know what I mean? It's like, they're just people, guys. Yeah, yeah, it did actually split people. I mean, I think it was one of those generational mm. divides where the older people were like, well, it's his duty is to the throne. And the young people were like, shit happens, bitch. People yeah. get divorced. Let's just all have free love and sex. And it's like the 60s. Oh, no, it's also, the 60s. Was it also the like a, a class divide as well, I suppose? Because yes. we know... From talking about the Victorians, you know, we, we have this idea of, of the kind of late 1800s, early 1900s of all being very buttoned up and prudish and whatever. But actually, it was just the middle classes, right? Absolutely. Or the uh, middle and upper classes. The working classes were much more have at it. Marriage wasn't as accessible or important to the working classes. Yeah, yeah. there were people who were outraged. There were people like, oh, well, there's more important things to worry about. Mm. And Mrs. Simpson was by now a national pariah. She was getting death threats. And she announced she was breaking off with the king. She said, I'm, I'm not having it. And, he, you know, he, but he wouldn't let her go, as we say. Which essentially is, you know, kidnap almost. Isn't <laughs> yeah, well, she was down in France, Forcing to someone fair. to be in a relationship that they don't want to be in. Uh, Baldwin kept meeting with the king, but he wouldn't be dissuaded. Apparently, there's a little account of them at Fort Belvedere having a little cry together. Oh, the king situation. and Stanley Baldwin. The king and the prime minister had a little weep together Jeez. and they prayed together. It's good drama, isn't it? Probably didn't happen though, did it? I don't know. <laughs> so the, the government were drawing up an actual abdication bill. And weirdly, that would need royal assent from the king, but then he wouldn't be king. So this is quite metapolitics. It's like... Oh, right. So he would have to sign the bill as king that yeah, made him not no king. longer Oh, I'm, king. I'm, I'm, I haven't, I haven't uh, put a full stop on that. Yeah, no, you can't touch it now. You're not king anymore. Or are you? Because you didn't put the full stop. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Are you? It's like... Ooh. Schrodinger's king. Schrodinger's <laughs> king is what he would have been. Yeah, and also a special bill to rush through the divorce. They didn't have to wait till 37. But the cabinet couldn't countenance that. That was going too far. So that bill was scrapped. So there's just a lot of embarrassing haggling at the moment isn't there about money yeah who's gonna pay him if he yeah. abdicates you know taxpayers not paying it will he get his income from the rest of the royal family absolutely yeah so we said at the beginning wallace said you can't be too rich or too thin he, she was in the mm. prospect of being stuck with a bitter ex-monarch with no income and uh, mm. she wasn't worried about that and he was desperate so the chances are wallace simpson this inverted commas gold digger was going to end up with an impoverished ex-king yeah i know so <laughs> the, the abdication bill went through and uh bear in mind this had what the, the scale of the shock for the ordinary british newspaper reader going along perfectly happily all through 1936 with the new king something like december the 4th i think it was it broke or very early in december the story broke december the 11th he ceased to be king so that this was just all in Within one a week. week in one week we've got a king we haven't got a king yeah. and it was the shortest reign of any monarch since lady jane gray and that mm. one doesn't really count anyway she never gets on the list, does she? Another woman written out, Angela. Yeah. Another example of what I've been telling time, you mate. about. Of what yeah. I've been educating you about. <laughs> Thank you for mansplaining uh, <laughs> women in history to me there, John. <laughs> Appreciate that. He, he signed the uh, abdication bill. Uh, he ceased to be king. He got straight on the boat to France late that night. And his servants, in fact, were furious. They felt abandoned. One of them told him his name was, you know, your name is Mud. M-U-D, they said to him. I suppose for them, you know, one minute they're servant to the king. That's got quite a lot of cachet. The next minute they're yeah. not. <laughs> he was allowed to do a very serious broadcast to the nation about his love for this woman. Frankly, wow. I think it might have been a bit, bit better with that sort of sound effects of Steve Wright in the afternoon. Um, so <laughs> I have not been allowed to marry the woman I love. <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, but we will now get married. Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> but again, radio, less fun in those days. <laughs> it's no now show, John. It's no now show. And so his younger brother, George the 
Hang on, four, fifth, six, six. Oh, I'm in my six. notes, I've written it in Latin numerals, and she's going, uh, V1? Why is his name V? No, v, George, George v. Vi? What? <laughs> and yeah, George, George VI overcame, as you've seen, you will have seen the film, The King's Speech, he overcame his stammer yeah. to single-handedly win the Second World War. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and of course, that's how he ends up with Queen Elizabeth that we've got now. She wasn't ever expecting her father to be king or for her to be queen. So suddenly her father's king, which makes her next in line for the throne. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, uh, Edward didn't have any children. Wallace was, I think, in her 40s. So they might not have had children. It wasn't expected they would have children. In fact, they never did. Mm. So our queen would have been queen eventually. Oh, yeah. But that wouldn't have been till the 1970s was when he died. He died in 1972. Right. So just long enough to hear David Bowie's Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So... I'm happy for him for that. Um, Is that what did for him in the end? (laughs) But yeah, they cast a long shadow of the royal family and a lot of bitterness from the rest of the royal family towards Edward. Queen Mother, you know, our current Queen's mother, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mother, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. felt angry that her husband had been forced into this role. He was a reluctant king. But, Mm. uh, and I think the sense of duty in the current Queen comes very much from this time when one of her predecessors yeah, did not fulfil his duty. Hence, I think, the horror of Prince Harry today withdrawing from being a devoted public servant like his uh, his uncle Prince Andrew had been. Um, oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started, she said. <laughs> don't get me started <laughs> oh, on no, that one. no, you hate Pizza Express at Wokey, don't you? Why would he go there? Because <laughs> um, I think what we also need to remember is the time of putting yourself first back then was, a you know, the idea of, uh, the individual versus the state the relationship was very different mm. so what Harry has done we all go yeah he doesn't want to be king anymore why should well not king he doesn't want to be a prince anymore why shouldn't he be yeah. today that seems less radical but back then that was very not much the thing you did if you were born into duty you had to serve your duty the following year living in exile now so they're living in Paris right Paris yeah they lived there they yep. met that nice Mr Hitler had the photo taken with him oh uh, good uh, that's a bit of PR <laughs> They're PR people going, I tell you what would look good, guys. This will look good. (laughs) Just just for posterity, a picture of you bowing and shaking with Hitler. That's going to be great. He was always obviously too sympathetic to Hitler. And so when war broke out, they were a bit worried about him being in Europe uh, because he was in France. They're going, okay, better move to Spain. Spain is a bit fascist as well. So they moved to Portugal. Eventually Churchill goes, I tell you what, we'll make him the governor of the Bahamas. Keep him as far away from Europe as possible. And John, I think, it, you know, it's always good, isn't it, to have an out-and-out racist in charge of a Caribbean colony. Absolutely. That is what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the thought was, wasn't it, that if Hitler had successfully invaded, which was on the cards, yeah. he might have put Edward back on the throne as a sort of puppet king. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because he had sympathies with him. Yeah, so the brand of Edward VIII sort of took a big dent in the wall because of the, his mm. uh, sympathies to Hitler. No. So Edward and Mrs. Simpson lived out their lives in Paris as the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. This was their made-up title. And if he'd stayed on the throne, as you say, he would have been the king when I was a kid. Mm. Our queen would have probably come to the throne in 72. It means the Jubilee would have been next year. Yeah, it does seem mad now, doesn't it, that this, this was such a... St- storm in a teacup as far as we're concerned now this thing but it was such a big thing when we look back so Spanish Civil War broken out there were millions of unemployed in Britain and it was the year the Jarrow Marchers arrived in London and Westminster ignored their petition it suggested that was the Jarrow Marchers petition ignored because Westminster was too consumed about the fact that the king wanted to marry a Divorcee? I mean, that's... No, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I think the Jarrah Marchers were ignored because Parliament was full of a load of snobs who didn't care about well, uh, unemployment in the North East. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the love life of the king and what it meant for his position of defender of the faith, 
his position at the head of an empire, all of that would become meaningless in a decade or two anyway. The empire was going to mm. disintegrate, you know, after the war. But as we say, you can't marry a divorcee if you're head of the Church of England because uh, Henry VIII would never have had it. Um, <laughs> so mad. The whole thing is so mad. Yeah, he's absolutely insane. In 1992, was it 92, the Annus Horribilis? We had Charles mm. divorce, Anne divorce, Prince Andrew divorced. They all divorced, didn't they? Yeah. Charles will be the defender of the faith, but also be divorced himself and married to a divorced woman. It's completely acceptable now. Wow. Lots of dramatizations, of course, and period costume dramas about, you know, Edward and Mrs. Simpson. It's such a sort of uh, perfect, romantic yeah, with a capital R story, class. isn't it? Sort of. Yeah. Sadly, I would say too few people have seen uh, Madonna's film, W.E., from 2011, in which uh, Madonna directed Wallace Simpson gyrating to Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols uh, with a young African tribesman. Look it up on YouTube. There's so much wrong with that. It's called Artistic Licence, Angela. Is it, John? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amazing. I'm going to watch that. That sounds sort of awesome. (laughs) It is really terrible. You know, we always think, oh, people were the same in the olden days. Things aren't so different. But I think what this crisis shows us is that values were so different. You know, less than a century ago, the Mm. things that were considered important were utterly trivial. And the things that uh, deeply shocked members of the establishment uh, will be greeted with a casual shrug today. And Mm. so the things, some of the things that we hold as absolutely sacrosanct now might be laughable in a century's time. Who knows? Absolutely. Something to think about there, listeners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Harry and Meghan situation. Obviously, it's it's mad in the press, but it's not. You know, it's affect- not affecting affairs of state. No, it doesn't affect anyone's way, quality of life. It's like, oh, I'm going down the mm. food bank, but I'm really, I'm really more worried about you know Harry and Meghan. So I think mm. if you've got four to worry about Harry and Meghan, it means you haven't got enough to worry about. Absolutely. And same with Edward <laughs> and Mrs. Simpson. On that political cheap point, I think we should crash out. <laughs> We should abdicate, abdicate from this episode. Um, and thank you to uh, the author of uh, The Crowning Crisis, Alexander Larman. Your book was a good read. And um, it'll be out in paperback this year, folks. So, um, so get it from a proper independent bookshop and um, yeah. enjoy the good read. Thank you to Spike, our producer. Thank you to all of you for listening. Don't forget to give us a five-star review on Apple, iTunes, yeah, podcast nice com- thingies. Lots, lots of nice comments um, there recently. People writing nice things saying how much they I forgot. It. I haven't looked at it for a while. Oh, I might have a look. It might give me a little confidence like, Oh, boost. this really uh, helps me on my long walks and Aww, uh, I'm enjoying nice. this. It's helping me through lockdown and um, oh, lovely. John O'Farrell is obviously a posh, snobby bloke and Angela's my favourite. well you know you can't help what people think john Um, that's all from wearehistory.pod.net we'll catch you next week with uh, another exciting installment of british history and we're um we're rapidly running out of uh, bits of history to cover we've done something you know last week i forgot to mention Angela. last week was our 50th episode we didn't do anything about it and we didn't even notice did we no so this is our 51st it's a special one today it's our 51st we are history Let's jump out of this episode before we have to stay our welcome. See you next week, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.